Hello everyone, welcome back to this episode of our podcast. Very glad that you have decided to join in uh, to listen to our discussion uh, as we start the next uh, season, the next quarter, uh, which is on uh, a future hope. And uh, there's going to be some interesting things to discuss in here. I'm looking forward to it. I am competing at the moment with a cold front which has just moved through and uh, there's a whistling wind and it is shaking the shed and that I'm in and I'm on a loft and the loft is shaking and I have no chance of any acoustic isolation, um, isolating out the noises of the storm tonight. So uh, you will just have to enjoy those. Uh, my name's Cameron. Yeah, g'day, I'm Ken. I'm in the same place but not in a shed. Um, <laughs> that is the same geographical vicinity but not a shed. <laughs> uh, I'm Luke and I'm... Uh, in a very different place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Lachlan. Um, I'm interested to see where we go with this with this next 13 episodes. And uh, I'd have no storm at the moment outside my house either. Long may that last. <laughs> Entirely too much rain in this part of the world at the moment. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on the little um, graphic depiction of the recording uh stream as it's happening and every time the gust of wind comes i'm seeing noise being recorded by the microphone so we'll just see how that goes uh it will be an interesting topic uh a slightly more focused topic than our last season which i'm looking forward to uh it's also going to be an interesting one because uh large portions of the bible say nothing about life after death or resurrection at all um most of the old testament doesn't refer to it or draw on it as a source of as you know recommended spiritual contemplation um it's a topic that turns up in places and is is uh pivotal obviously in the story of christ but uh it will be interesting to discuss not only the places where it is mentioned but perhaps if we can the places where it's not mentioned and why that might be, and I think there'll be some interesting discussions. For today, though, we're jumping into Ezekiel. Our choice was uh, between one of several passages, but we've opted for the Ezekiel passage from this week's lesson, and it's Ezekiel chapter 28, and we'll we'll start at verse 11. Locke, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Then this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, green-blue beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created." Uh, I, I'm reading this in the King James Version because uh, that's what I accidentally opened Bible Gateway in and it uh, reads very nicely. Um, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, 
Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Uh, what are we reading to? Keep going. Uh, <laughs> we're going. I just keep going. I, I really like the language in this. Was it eighteen? Yeah. We're going to nineteen. Nineteen. I'll just finish it then, uh, unless somebody else wants to. No, you go. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Yeah, that was a that was a stroke of wisdom, Luke, to accidentally open it in the King James. It was. The, 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 the yeah. verse 18 passage there, where the fire will come out of you and destroy you, reminds me of um, the stories you hear of you know, spontaneous human combustion. Mm. Um, and and I have to say, as a when I found about that, found out about that sort of thing, uh, I don't know exactly when, but I'm going to say sometime as an early teen. Um, uh, it horrified me. <laughs> what you mean? I can just yeah. be laying in bed one day and self combust. Um, <laughs> I was I was horrified by that proposition. I still don't know to this day whether I'm prepared to accept the truth of it, but. Apparently, it's a reality uh, for the king of Tyre. The at least. phrase, yeah, the phrase that uh, um, jumped out at me, Luke, was uh, the iniquity of thy traffic. Mm. Which verse was that? Uh, the iniquity of thy traffic is a verse eighteen, the first uh, phrase. Mm. Uh, so in mine, it says, "By your many sins and dishonest trade." Yes, iniquity of traffic would be dishonest trade. I was I was just thinking of being stuck in a traffic jam at that point. And I thought, what well, a, traffic jams what a do do uh, generate. Uh, well, they are very iniquitous. <laughs> they are very iniquitous. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting because yours talked about your sanctuary. I think, um, Luke, mm. uh, in verse eighteen, there the NIV that I was looking at, which I think is the same as what Cam was looking at, talks about you have desecrated your sanctuaries plural. Oh, this um, one says sanctuaries as well. Oh, does it? Yes. So, the what? What? How, what were the sanctuaries that were being spoken about there? Those places where you exist, where you live, where you do your business, where you live and interact with people, um, mm. all of those places where you are um, are desecrated. Can I um, put on a cynical hat? I, I wasn't aware that you'd taken it off, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me let me tell you a thing that you can do in maths. Um, if you are a researcher and you're trying to study uh, whether eating chocolate twice a day makes you see better in the dark, you can go out and you can do a study where you uh, record how much chocolate people eat and how well they can see in the dark, and then you look for what's called a correlation. The correlation might be a positive correlation, so the chocolate eaters see better in the dark, or it might be a negative correlation, uh, where the chocolate, more chocolate you eat, the less you see in the dark, or there may be no correlation. And <clears throat> uh, a correlation is, is scored from uh, minus one to one. So a correlation is zero means no connection, minus one means a negative correlation, one means a positive correlation. And um, it is possible that by pure chance, you might find some people in your sample, particularly if it's a small sample, uh, you might just 
by pure chance, have in your sample uh, only chocolate eaters who can see well and non-chocolate eaters who can't. Because there exists people in the world who eat, who eat lots of chocolate and can see well in the dark, mm. and there exists people in the world who don't eat chocolate and can't see well in the dark. And if you're unlucky enough to draw on that sample, then just by chance you might have what looks to be compelling evidence, but it is in fact random. Obviously, we don't like this happening. It is increased substantially uh, when you have large numbers of data sets, if you're comparing lots and lots of things. It'd be like me saying, um, what's the chance of me rolling three sixes in a row? Not very much. But if I roll the dice a thousand times, it's very likely I'll get three sixes in a row. Um, Almost a certainty. So if you have enough data sets, you can find correlations these random correlations will will certainly appear. This is a problem I have at school where teachers are so enthusiastic about uh, data processing. Um, And the problem is that we're dealing with relatively small data sets and we've got heaps and heaps and heaps of them. You will find connections between things that are not in fact connected. Mm. And I'm looking at a website in front of me uh, that is a great website to go to. If you do a Google search for spurious correlations, (laughs) um, it brings up, it's a, it's a database full of thousands and thousands and thousands of data sets, and uh, it will find correlations between things. These, these random correlations are not very likely, but if you have enough data sets, they'll turn up. So, for instance... But, Cam, um, there's, a, there's between... a problem with that. I mean, isn't the problem that because there's such a large number of sets of uh, spurious correlations... Uh, that it could well be that the negative correlation is yeah. real just because of the la- the large number so that the conclusion that they're spurious ah. correlations isn't right. Hmm. Now, the reason it's spurious is that if the experiment is repeated, it doesn't turn up again. Ah. So it's it's a feature of that particular instance, not of an underlying truth. So this is, they reckon that up to a third of psychology papers and, and uh, social science papers uh, that report positive results can't be reproduced. That's disturbing. Uh, it is. Okay, so here's, I'll give you some correlations and you tell me if you think that they're authentic. Um, so <clears throat> between the years 1999 and 2009, so over 20 years, uh, the amount of money spent by the United States on science, space and technology correlates with a correlation value of 0.997, almost a correlation of one, correlates with the number of suicides by hanging, strangulation and suffocation. <laughs> the uh, Between the years 2000 and 2009, the uh, US per capita cheese consumption uh, correlates, <laughs> correlates, I can't do this with a straight face, the per capita cheese co- uh, consumption uh, correlates with the number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets. <laughs> it's, um, it's not meant to be this funny. And the <laughs> the age the age of the winner of the Miss America beauty pageant uh, between the years nineteen ninety nine and two thousand and nine correlates very uh, strongly with the number of murders by steam, hot vapors, and the hot objects. <laughs> so it becomes dangerous as a researcher when you already know that you want to find a connection. Mm. So if you have decided ahead of time, I will go and do a study where I investigate chocolate consumption and how well you can see in the dark, and you decide on the variables, then you go do the study. You'll probably find that chocolate doesn't affect how well you can see in the dark. 
But if you say, I really want to publish something, um, and the best way to publish something a bit sensational that'll get reported in a newspaper is if it's about something like chocolate. Mm-hmm. So I will... I will find some people who eat chocolate and some people who don't eat chocolate, and then I'll ask them a list of questions about hundreds and hundreds of other things. Yeah. And then just by chance, one of them is probably going to come up with a correlation. Could be completely meaningless correlation. So in other words, if your job as the researcher is to find a connection, you say, you say, my, I, I must publish something. Mm. And, uh, and that is my mandate. I'm going to publish something. Um, so I will pick chocolate because it's going to look cool and sexy and feature on the front page of the Morning Herald. Um, and then I will just go hunting to find something else that, that correlates with it. Um, then um, you will find something. Mm-hmm. There's so many different data sets. You could, you could study chocolate consumption against how many pet dogs they have or chocolate consumption against how many minutes a day they spend brushing their teeth or chocolate consumption against what type of car they drive or... Mm-hmm. Um, how many kids they have or whatever, you can just ask them lots and lots of questions. One of them will come up trumps because unlikely things become likely if you just try hard enough. And then and then you publish that study and you say, having chocolate helps you see in the dark and you pretend that that's the question you were asking all along and it is true that in the sample of people you studied it, that, that eating chocolate helps you see in the dark. But if it wasn't seen in the dark, it would have been your well, just, just preference for colour cool car or something else. It would still yeah. wouldn't be true in that study that eating chocolate helped you see in the dark. It would just be that in that particular group of people, those who yes. saw in the dark mm. better happened to also yeah. eat chocolate. There was no causal link proved yes. even yeah. then. There's no causal link proved. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the newspapers won't make that distinction. Uh, so so <clears throat> this is the problem then if you're trying to understand the world and you come at it with the mindset, I must find a connection. I must find something to publish. I must find a conclusion. Um, I can't come away from this in any sense inconclusive. And I sense this very strongly when Adventists talk about the great controversy. And the the context of this passage is that this is a description of uh, Lucifer and it provides some of the backstory to what's happening before Eden. And I feel like we arrive at the text of the Bible having already decided that we will find something worth publishing. Hmm. And then you just sift through all the prophecies, and this one's about the Tyre. Or the king of Tyre. Is it the Tyre king or Tyre? Tyre. King of Tyre. Yes. So we, we arrive at it and we say, we will, we will find something worth publishing. We'll find something of note. And then you just go hunting around and you cast a wide enough net. And if you cast a wide enough net, something something will come up. Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, incidentally, were probably um, the same kingdom. I think this this chapter actually refers to to um both that's just an interesting yeah. side note sorry i didn't mean to derail the the conclusion yeah. of your very important point cam go on no no and the, the important point is that it doesn't mean we're necessarily wrong because sometimes that things are genuinely connected and and um cohesive narratives can be made and causal links can be discovered and authentic facts can be unearthed that does happen mm. But I'm just suspicious about the mindset that we bring to it, that it's, it's, uh, it seems to me to be slightly a dangerous mindset to bring. All right, so here's a game. Here's um, a game we can play. Why do you keep your cynicism hat on, 
Um, I was I mm. was wondering the same sorts of thoughts, but there are a couple of points that do need to be addressed, and they are things that seem unnecessarily place product placements, <laughs> Un- unnecessary mm. connections. So the one that jumped out at me was verse thirteen. Why bring Eden and the Garden of God into this at all? If it's a if it so so, what purpose does that literary device serve? When merely speaking against the king of of a neighbouring, yeah. oh, well, uh, it's nation. Common, common cultural the, references. The, the, in verse twelve, the, it starts off with saying you were a model of perfection. So it says you were everything that a human being was meant to be, mm. just like just like Adam and Eve. Mm. Um, that, that's the purpose of it. It's simply metaphor. Yeah, I do. I do agree that it might just be metaphor, but it is a metaphor of a particular type. It's a metaphor of these very heavenly, ethereal, spiritual things. You are a guardian cherub. Mm. You are anointed as a guardian cherub. Yes, but let's mm. let's let's look um, at this though. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, uh, and then it's ruby, topaz, emerald, crystalline onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Now, what are they? What are all those stones? Um, they're, for, they, they're in the streams that come out of Eden, aren't they? Don't, don't they refer to this in Genesis? Well, I, is that referred to in Genesis, or are they, or are they actually part of the the heaven, part of heaven, not Eden? Hmm. I think they're part of Eden. Okay. I think the four streams that come out of Eden, uh, we can go back and check if we want. Okay. I think there's pre- I think there's precious stones in the in the streams. Where do where do we find that though in Genesis? I'm, I'm not sure it's... Oh, here it is. Here it is. Oh, yeah, yes, it is. It's here. It's G- Genesis 2. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it was separated into four headwaters. The gold of the land that is good, aromatic, resin, and onyx are also there. That's in uh, Havilah. Uh, well, it doesn't I, I, say I anything about all the others. I just they were the gemstones of the um, high priest's raiment. Yeah, that's that was mine. I ha- I don't well. know that. No, I and I am I. I am not looking it up because I don't. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure the exact um, nature of the stones is is particularly relevant to the meaning, um, mm. or or at least I'm I'm not interested enough in that topic. To... <laughs> so I'm going to make an assumption that they're not. Um, but I mean yeah. I think my 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 default view these days. And it's it's something that I've come to after a lot of um, after making a lot of assumptions in the past is to first I mean let's first at the very least take it at its face value let's say it is what it says it is first mm-hmm. and then if we find any sort of evidence that it isn't what it says it is or that it's something other than what it says it is or that it's something more than what it says it is then we can then we can look into those particular topics but what this verse says it is is a message to the prince of of Tyre or the king of Tyre. Mm. So, I mean, there's no reason to think that it isn't. There was a king of Tyre in Ezekiel's time and he could have sent him a message containing these words. Um, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing also to say that it, the words may have contained meanings in it that were not meant by Ezekiel for the king of Tyre. True. That they're, yeah. There could be something more. And my objection is not to looking for something more or concluding that there is something more in it. 
uh, my objection was to saying, um, was to say, uh, it is very important to tie every loose end in everything. <laughs> a Christian cannot ever be in doubt of anything. We must have, we must have the finished, publishable article. We've done the investigations and we've got the data and whatever question we are asked, we must be able to answer it. And and we then have to go through and find a passage. So I'm quite happy to say that this is um, that this provides insight into Lucifer. I'm I'm quite happy to say that. I, I, I I'm also quite happy I to am, say though, Cam. Ah, uh, well we can get onto that soon. Um I'm not sure that it is. I I'm not I, I just don't think that it's quite necessary. I don't think that, I don't think, I don't see why someone who's trying to lead a meaningful life and make a difference in the world and be God's agents on earth, why part of that involves cr- creating a perfectly watertight explanation of everything. I just, it might be, this might be, according to our traditional Adventist interpretation, it might not, it, it really doesn't bother me so much. Um, whether it is or whether it isn't, uh, the problem with trying to find a cohesive narrative. So, if we can find an, if we can find a story that's entirely cohesive, that's consistent mm. with itself, um, then we can be certain that we have the truth, and there's no loose ends, and there's no points of dispute or disagreement within the church, supposedly, or we hope, or we aim for. You know, we're gonna we're gonna tie everything off so it's very neat and ordered. Um, being internally logically consistent mm. is demonstrably not the same as necessarily the same as being true. Mm. Uh, you talk to anyone with a persecution complex, they've got a very consistent explanation. Mm. Yeah. yeah, logical consistency or I- internal consistency is not evidence that something is true. It's just evidence that it has... In fact, in many ways it could be considered it could be considered evidence that... that there is a, a, a likelihood that it isn't true because reality very often doesn't have any sort of internal consistency. It's much too complex and, and <laughs> seemingly random. And and neat little well-designed systems that fit in a box tend to be the product of human minds and not the product of, yeah. of created reality. That is, things not made by humans. So here's a thought. Uh, I want to actually get on to verse 15 because I think that's where we need to go. But the thought that I'm having is um, this, this it, it does seem to have some elements. This is sort of addressing, Luke, your your um, concern, I suppose, uh, or well, your conviction. <laughs> I, 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 want to, I want to get to that because I do want to make the case. But I, I'm not denying that there are not metaphors and imagery and language well, this is, that, that yeah. alludes to Lucifer. I just don't think reading this through, I just don't think it's about Lucifer. No, well this is what I, I think I think we might end up saying the same thing then. What I'm what is occurring to me is if you invoke Edenic imagery and it's not just the Eden, the garden, the stones, even down again a little bit more obscure, but even down in verse 17, so I threw you to the ground. Of course in Eden what happens to the serpent, it's it's told that it will forevermore be on the ground and despised um so so there's there's a great deal of connection here but that doesn't mean 
that this is expository description of what historically happened to Lucifer. What this what this then becomes is is akin to what has happened many times in Christian history, just declaring someone to be the Antichrist. At times, Adventists have called it the Pope. At times, popes have called it other popes. Uh, Christian history is full of people using imagery of ultimate evil, a devil, a Satan, attributing a, a person's actions or behaviors or characteristics to be akin to that devil, demon, Satan figure, in a way to, to very vividly pass judgment on them. I, I've shared previously on this podcast that I have been accused of spreading lies from the mouth of Satan uh, years ago in, as a result of a Sabbath school conversation. What's powerful about that phrase? It's not, it's not trying to say, hey, if you want to know more about Satan, go and watch the words Lachlan says. That's not what the phrase is used for. The phrase is used evocatively to try and, mm. and, and say something about the person. So here in Ezekiel, yep. we, 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 can, we can continue to quibble, but I suspect that there is some element here of imagery that's connecting mm. back to these, these sort of proto-stories, these stories of Satan and the devil. But I think, and I don't know, am I, am I agreeing with you, Luke, when oh, no, I say you're, you're 100% agreeing. the presence of such, of such elements in the story cannot be taken as being descriptions of what really happened to a Satan. Rather, they are they are evocative and really powerful judgments on on this king oh, of Tyre. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Look, uh, it's all about which direction does the information flow. If I said to you, um, every meeting I go to as a teacher that talks about technology um, espouses its wonderful and miraculously beneficial, you know, impact it will have on the classroom. Mm. But if you go and see a teacher in a classroom trying to use technology you will realize the emperor is not wearing any clothes. Yeah. <laughs> now, <clears throat> that's I've used a fairy tale story, or mm. it's Hans Christian Andersen, isn't it? The emperor's new clothes. Uh, I'm not sure. But I've used a well-known story, and I am, I'm appealing to it. Now, there's information flows from the emperor's new clothes to the situation. What I'm saying is mm. that, um, that the technology isn't working, but no one's willing to say it's not working because everyone's hearing everyone else saying that it's working and no one's no one's going to be the one to stand up and say that the emperor's not wearing any clothes. If you try and read information the other way it becomes ridiculous. Um, do do you mean do you mean then that in the original fairy tale in the 1800s the emperor was wrestling with data projectors and <laughs> and smart um, whiteboards ineffectual and... and smart whiteboards that kept crashing or um, powerpoints that <laughs> presentations that froze? You know, in what sense? In what sense? What can we learn about the emperor by studying the teacher? Mm -hmm. uh, and it depends what um, question you're coming to it with. Um, so it depends what in what direction the information flows and what question you're coming to it with. So if one comes to the... And I'm not suggesting uh, different answers to different questions necessarily here, but Cam, you earlier referred to this question. How does this help a follower of God live a good life? You know, how does this help somebody follow God? Um, so the question that I framed from that was, how does this help us live a good life? And the way it helps us live a good life is to draw a contrast. Um, and it really boils down to this. Um, uh, the proverb says, pride goeth before a fall. Mm -hmm. um, and here we have, if we go back to 
verse 1 of chapter 20 or verse 2 of chapter 28, in the pride of your heart, you you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you're a man and not a God. And then and then he goes on to say, well, you see, it's just pride goeth before a fall, just as it did for Lucifer, just Mm. as it Mm. did for Adam and Eve. Just as it's done for all ch- for lots of church leaders, just as it's done for lots of government leaders, just as it's done for many people in the street, just as it's done for many gang leaders, mm. just as it's done for all sorts of other people, we see that when you think you've got it made, you probably haven't because the world just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, mm. I, I think, I think. I, I don't disagree with anything that anybody's said. Um, I, it just I what what you say, Cam, about you know you go looking if 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 you come at learning with the mindset of looking for something that you want or expect to see, then there's a good chance that you'll see it. That does not make it true. And I'm I'm just reading through, and I think it's it's you know. I it it genuinely grieves me. It it distresses me when verses are taken in isolation and not in context. Um, and how you can read? I mean, it's very convenient. I would say, with my cynical hat on. Um, in fact, I might put the second cynical hat on. I've got two. <laughs> um, it's very convenient for the lesson that they started reading from twelve, because before twelve, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that doesn't sound like anything that happened to Lucifer at all. And there's a whole, there's a bit of stuff after twelve at all. I mean, there's twice there's the mention of of dishonest merchant activities. What's that got yeah. to do with Lucifer? Nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. So um, to and, be and fair, I could, I could list you thirty things in here that are descriptions of the prince or king of Tyre that are not reflective of Lucifer or anything we know about Lucifer in any way. You know. Yeah. So what do I, we do then? Do we add up the number of things that have nothing to do with Lucifer and the number of things that have something to do with Lucifer and say, okay, well, this isn't about Lucifer, or or, or do we do we look at this as yeah. it is? Do we take it? So what it's, it's it's in Ezekiel. It's about the King of Tyre. Luke, your rant is excellent. Cam, before you go, I need I need to do something lest we lest we um, unfairly malign um, an author somewhere. So the lesson does refer to specifically refer to passage that we read from verse twelve, um, which which is egregious in in an extra way because it's picking up at the start of the message and dropping it. We read verse eleven, which puts context at least on the message, um, saying that this is a message. F- f- through Ezekiel from God, but the lesson in its in its um, discussion on Tuesday does acknowledge exactly what you said, Luke, and it, it it actually says it refers to the first ten verses. It says in in the first ten verses, the Lord spoke of the King of Tyre um, as a rich and proud ruler who was only a man, which of course is clearly what it says there in verse two. It's not talking about anything other than a man, so there's not really mm. much sort of and- super supernatural cosmic sort of things there and then the lesson then does sort of say that picking up in verse 12 it sort of identifies more of an analogy um so it's it's it's, still talking about the man it says it straight up in the start of 12 right there's there's another there's another option though um the other i i was once in a uh, worship uh when i worked at blue hills college and um chaplain took a worship and was talking about the amazing specificity of some of the messianic prophecies and it was it was quite well done 
Uh, it rankled me a little bit at the time, though, because he referred to some of the uh, prophecies that refer to, for instance, the fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, etc., 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 that if you read those prophecies, clearly identify this messianic figure as a as a uh, military hmm. leader. Hmm. Well, that's consistent and with there what seems was to be expected some... of Jesus, be- because yeah. so yeah, that's what the, that's what the prophecy said, or why Jesus was rejected. Yeah, because exactly. he didn't fit that. It's also it's because Jesus didn't fit. There's a reason. This we we are so down on the Pharisees because they expected a ruler, as someone to come and deliver them from the Romans. That's because that's what it says in lots of places um, that someone would come and deliver Israel in the political military sense. Now. Um, I think it is legitimate to say, with the aid of hindsight, knowing what we know of Christ in his mission and his our experience of him in our own lives and in the community we belong to, that we think that there's something real going on here. We can retrospectively look back and say, isn't it amazing? They didn't get everything right, but isn't it amazing at some of the things they, they did get right? And so there's some retrospective in, interpretation that goes on. Um, that's different to arguing that the original text proves Christ. Mm. Because if you if you say this original text proves Christ is the Messiah, you have to take the original text in its own in its entirety, and you can't do the editor editorializing. Um, so even even the psalm where it talks about Jesus, you know, uh, not a bone was broken, his side was pierced. That psalm, Psalm twenty two, also well, talks about being surrounded by a a pack of angry bulls. Cam, what what this is? Um, and that, th- this is and that didn't. Oh, sorry. Go, f- well, it did happen in the sense that he was yeah. surrounded by the Pharisees. But yeah. Well, yeah, but this is that's an example of the retrospective oh. view, which I think is valid. But but when you do that, you are not saying the original passage proves the subsequent event. What you are saying is, in light of the subsequent event, I can now see which elements of this passage. So, Cam, what you've just done there is provided me with some some really nice supporting logic for my strong suspicion that prophecy is only understandable retrospectively and therefore useless as a predictive tool. Well, Christ says this in the Gospel of John a lot. He says, uh, I say this to you now so that when it happens, Hmm. uh, you'll understand. And um, I I think that then it is valid to say, well, what we... if we argue, and this is perhaps what the lesson is trying to say, if we do get a sense from the big top-down view of Scripture, from, from the ensemble of all the texts and all the experiences that we've had as a church over thousands of years um, of God, if, if we do get a sense that we live in a, in a controversy, then perhaps we can see in these passages some meaningful insight into Satan. I'd still hesitate to pin it down and lock it in and say it must be thus and no other way. Uh, well, because well, the author is so, the author is using this passage is using Lucifer to explain something else. He's not to illustrate really a message to, to a person. Yeah. But so I think that's yeah. a really key st- statement. Then, Cam, does this passage illustrate anything significant about Lucifer? Yeah, it does in one key way that I would like us to talk about before we run out of time, uh, which is slightly sidestepping the question of 
is this even about Lucifer or not? It even sidesteps the question of whether the serpent in the Garden of Eden was indeed the same figure as we identify as Satan as we move through the Bible. I want to sidestep all of that and ask the question that is posed by verse 15. Because no matter what picture of Satan, serpents, devils and Lucifers you have, the Christian view of the world is that there are there are things about the world that are not the way God in, wills in his, in his great optimism for them to be. He calls people out of this misalignment back to alignment. And that's what God does through the ministry of Jesus in the incarnation and through the message of the prophets and through the traditions of the forefathers. And here's the interesting thing. That means, and this is really what what we we want to try and at least touch on slightly, um, moving into a quarter where we're going to be discussing things like death. Where does this evilness come from? Because there are there are views out there in in other pictures of how the world works that that evil is always been present. It's a, it's as everlasting as goodness is, and in fact, goodness only exists in its contrast to evilness. And so you get this kind of balanced pictures of the universe where evil is 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 as perpetual the christian view of the world predominantly for most christians has a view of god and his goodness being outlasting evilness and thus evilness or evil or sin having a beginning look at what verse 15 says and i just think that we need to ponder this slightly verse 15 says you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you now, on the one hand, this is a pathetic truism. Yeah, it's, it's a tautology. A tautology. <laughs> right? You be, yes. before you were before you were evil, you were good, and after you were evil, you were evil. <laughs> but but I I'd like to step past that. And what it's saying is, it's saying there there is a start, and whether it's just the King of Tyre, or whether it's a bigger and more general picture here, doesn't quite matter. It's still talking about a a a start point. There was, a, there was a state of blamelessness, there was a good state, and then there was a day, a day that evil was found in you. Um, I'm really intrigued by that. Uh, the more I look at it, the more I am intrigued by this idea, just three short lines in the v- version I'm reading, um, captures a fairly profound idea. It's not, it doesn't say, you know, from the day you were created, there was balance in the force until you chose the evil path of the of the two you know of the of the of the balance you were blameless until the day evil was found in you mm. and it's talking about someone who turns out to be by the by the nature of these sayings um a pretty un nice pretty unblameless sort of person um so it's it's a profound thing i think to to even declare a state of blamelessness pre-existed the day in which evil was found. Interesting too that it's when the evil or the wickedness was found in you. Hmm. Uh, it's not a wickedness that is imposed on you or is um, external to you. Um, and I wonder whether this... Uh, is similar to the concept that Jesus spoke about uh, when he said um, it's the w- the words that come out of your mouth come from your heart. Um, mm. 
so that's where, and that's part of what is important about the transformation that Paul speaks about. Uh, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, by those things that are inside. Uh, mm. That's where this wickedness is, and that's where this change needs to be effected. So I think there's something quite, quite fascinating here, and it it's best illustrated by flipping it around. When, when does a human become a a living soul? Or, or we we don't tend to have such a dualistic picture of body and soul, but the we still have this idea of sentient, of relational, God, a, a created being with which God can have a relationship. Um, you know, this is part of the discussion around the whole issues related to abortion, but it's bigger than that. Is is a newborn baby a sentient being with which someone can have, with which a creator can have a relationship, or? Or not quite. So all of the big picture questions that relate to, you know, creation and origin of life and the breathing of the breath um, actually all happen in microcosm in every single individual human. When when is the when is the point at which the breath of God's spirit is breathed into a new human and they become fully human? Is it is it at conception? Is it at birth? Is it at seven years old? Is it when they turn 21 or, and or is that Lachlan a thing that never happens fully right so so you know um you know we shall not sleep we shall all be changed in mm. the flash in the in the blink of an eye um okay you know into something we'll take off the perishable and put on the imperishable so is is it is it fair for an adult human being to claim that they've arrived at the end of the road because of course once you get even older you start to uh lose your faculties for well, um so so i mean this this thing that we claim to have is a thing we only hold very tenuously and only for a very short amount of time and here's my here's my hope my contention i wonder whether evil might be the same i know that it's standard straight down the line protestant christianity to talk about the um you know a sinful nature and original sin and all humans are born inherently sinful but but surely a lot of what we mean when we say sin in this context is something that a newborn baby is essentially incapable of. Um, sure, newborn babies are greedy, but that's because they cannot actually comprehend anything beyond their own re their own personal reality. When when they are hungry, the entire universe is is in torment from from a newborn baby's perspective. It's not they're not crying out because they want to selfishly exploit. A parent's generosity it's not a greedy or selfish or sinful act so well, all i'm commenting on is if we are if we are willing to say that it's very very Lock difficult to put the finger on when we become a living spirit it's also pretty difficult to put the finger on when we become an a, a fallen being don't forget in uh silent night that baby jesus no crying he makes uh -huh. Yeah, of course. Because yes, well, <laughs> it's very unrealistic. That. Yeah. Um, um, I, what I, about I, the what about the the child development psychologists who point out the importance of of cognitive development that is evidenced by the ability to tell a lie? Mm. Yeah. All I'm all I'm commenting on is that it's very easy to look at a fully capable adult human and to discuss things like sin and evil. Um, it's very easy because you can attribute to malice, to will, to intent, 
Um, you can try them in a court of law and you can hold them responsible for their actions. We don't do that for infants. Well, you, you, yeah. I, I think I, what you just sorry, hang on, just wait for the cat to stop contributing to the podcast. <laughs> I think, look, I mean, I think that the, the point that was made earlier in this recording that um, it is okay not to have all the answers may well apply here because how could we possibly know when we don't really fully understand what sinning is? Mm. We we can identify a sinful act or thought or deed act um, readily enough, but but the the underlying nature and cause of it and what what is the transit when does it when does a, a, a sentient being either become sentient uh, knowing good and evil which mm. and i see a really strong correlation between those concepts um or when do they transition from the state of innocence to the state of sinfulness mm. um is is an impossibly difficult question because we can't mm. even clearly define what the states are, much less well, how and when the transition occurs. So, coming back to the verse 15, mm. um, this absolutely applies to Lucifer, yes. I would argue it applies to every single sinner as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the the, the point, and this gets to Ken's um, statement, which I found really helpful, the point is not so much that at a particular time on a particular day, um, Lucifer fell. The point is that he is always falling. We are always falling. Mm. There's, there's uh, that pride cometh become a uh, pr pride is before a fall mm. is a, is a truth which is being repeated every day. Uh, uh, that's that's something, and that is something that can inform the way we live. Um, that's yeah. a really valuable. That's, that's, that's a, that's a um, good point, Cam. You, sort of, you, you're, you're not sinning until you are sinning, um, and yeah. then you've sinned. You know, it's, it's yeah. You don't. It's a bit like uh, a bit like emergencies. You're never in one until you're in one. Mm. Uh, uh, now, Lock, on your comment too about nature of uh, sin and whether uh, sin and uh, whether good and evil are two sides, as it were, of the same coin and can only exist with the other. Uh, the book uh, to read on that topic is C.S. Lewis's uh, The Great Divorce, where it is a, it's a great read. It's mm. a little allegorical story. At, just at the level of a story, it's quite interesting um, about a man who, who finds himself in... He takes a bus up uh, to heaven. He takes a bus to heaven, and uh, most of the people who take the bus to heaven decide they don't like it there and they'd like to leave, mm. and they go back to hell. Um, and... It, it talks about a lot of the issues we've been talking about. So uh, it's a short read and it's a good read and I'd recommend it. We, we're probably at time, I think, Cam. Well, I think we are at time. And uh, so we'll leave it there. Uh, I'm sure our listeners will be so grateful that we've been able to make everything so clear for them. <laughs> and um, uh, if you want more of this sort of clarity then you'll have to listen to our discussions next week and onwards as we, you know, really pin down all these big questions into nice, simple, easy to follow, easy to understand, uh, uh, ten-point plans where every point begins with the same letter. I'll just point out uh, that if something is very big and complicated and important, by definition, it cannot be easily understood in a simple 
concise yeah. way. Well, I, <clears throat> this is exactly it. I heard a quote once. Uh, I can't remember. I don't know to whom this quote is attributed, but it was on the subject of the Trinity. And it was a theologian who was quoted as saying that the uh, Trinity is a doctrine that's uh, very difficult to understand, especially if understood correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, uh, please share this podcast with anyone you feel who would benefit. Uh, we are so glad that you've decided uh, to join us. Uh, you can email us if you want to take part of the conversation and have any ideas you'd like to share. You can email us at uh, sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And uh, we'll uh, speak with you again next week. And hopefully you'll, you'll shoot us an email if you have something to say.